In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, one God, Amen. So today we're going to study a very, uh, a very kind of obscure character from the scriptures. Has anyone heard of Shamgar before? Anyone? It's not the most popular. You've heard of him? When I announced the sermon uh, 30 minutes ago. Um, so, so he was, uh, so in the book of Judges, Okay, when does the book of Judges take place? Um, the book of Judges takes place, the bo- it's the book after the book of Joshua. In the book of Joshua, the Israelites, they enter into the promised land. Um, and God tells them to begin uh, expelling and killing all of the nations that are in that land, all of the pagan nations that are in that land as a punishment for them, and also to make way, to make a place for them to live. Okay, so they went into the promised land, which is Israel, um, it was called Canaan at the time, and they were killing all of these nations that were living there in order for them to take the land. And so after a period of time of them doing this, they began to be complacent, and they stopped killing the people. They began to feel like they were powerful. They tried to coexist with the, with the other people and maybe use them as servants um, or to have them pay tribute money um, to somehow benefit from them. This isn't what God wanted. Um, and they began to intermix with these other pagan nations uh, and begin to fall into uh, idol worship um, and other problems that would happen with them. So the book of Judges is like uh, there's these cycles that you'll see. Um, the people will begin to fall into sin um, and they would not repent. So in order for God to um, to motivate them to repent, he would allow them to be um, captured or oppressed or attacked by some um, by some by some group or some nation, and then after some time of this oppression, the people would call out to God and repent of their sins, asking God for His assistance and help and deliverance. So God would um, raise up a person who would be called the judge. This is before the time of the kings; there was no kings at this time. Um, he would raise up a person who would be, they called, they called him the judge, but he wasn't like a judge like how we understand judges. He was just a leader, a leader of the people, kind of like uh, a populist leader who would rise up and lead the people to victory through the help of God against their enemies. And then once they conquered their enemies, they had a period of peace. And during that period of peace, after a while again, the people became complacent and they fall into sin again. And this cycle is repeated over and over and over and over. So the book of Judges mentions many names of judges. And every judge is essentially the same pattern. The reason that God even brings the judge is because uh, of the need of deliverance for the people. So the judge was not necessarily like a, like a long-standing position, like a king. It wasn't like a royal position. It wasn't like a, like a president or someone who was just like a leader of the nation. Whenever there would be a need, that's when God would bring the judge okay so Shamgar is one of the judges okay he was one of the judges that God used to deliver the people um, and he was a farmer okay he was a farmer he wasn't like a military man um, or anything Um, so that that's who um, that's who Shamgar is Um, we read about him in Judges 5 verse 6 it says in the days of Shamgar son of Anath in the days of Jael the highways were deserted and the travelers walked along the byways. Okay, why was this? The the main highways um, where the people should be 
traveling and walking, they were deserted because there was lawlessness. And so there were criminals and bandits and people who would um, take control of these major highways. Um, and so nobody would want to travel. And people were afraid. Um, there was no central government. There was no standing army. There was no police. There was nobody to protect them. And so the people would not want to travel on these highways, but they would travel on these side roads and other places um, because of the fear that they had. Okay. Um, also in Judges 3.31, it says, After him, meaning after the previous judge, whose name I think was Ehud, um, was Shamgar, the son of Anath, who killed 600 men of the Philistines with an ox goad, and he also delivered Israel. This is pretty much all we know about Shamgar. Um, Shamgar, the son of Anath, killed 600 men of the Philistines with an ox goad, and he delivered Israel. So at this time, the Philistines were the enemy that were oppressing Israel, and God raised up Shamgar to be the leader to protect the people and to deliver them from the hand of the Philistines. So he was a farmer, as I said, and the tool that he used as his weapon to defeat the Philistines was a farmer's tool. He didn't have a sword. He didn't have any kind of military weapons. He used the tool that he had as a farmer, um, which is this ox goad, which was used to direct the oxen. Um, there's a picture of it here on the screen. Uh, to, to deliver the people. Okay? So that's really <laughs> all we know about him. But there's a lot of lessons we can learn from him. Okay? The first is, and we'll talk about these, I'll, I'll just mention them now, and we'll talk about them in, in more detail. Um, the first is to use your gifts for serving God. Two, you don't have to be an expert to serve. Three, don't make excuses to avoid service. Four, you will make a difference. Five, realize that you are in a war. Six, service requires personal sacrifice. And seven, the faithful service has a reward. Okay, this is what we're going to speak about. Um, use your gifts and tools for service. So what is it that he had? I mean, as a farmer, he could have very easily said, I'm not equipped to um, be a judge. I'm not equipped to deliver anyone. I'm not equipped to fight the enemy. I'm a, I'm a farmer, and all I have is this ox goad. I'm not trained in it, and this is a job for somebody else, right? But that's not the way that he thought, right? He, he didn't think that way. God could have raised up anyone to be a judge. He could have raised up a military man. He could have raised up somebody who was, you know, uh, more equipped than he had, you know, for to to be a judge, um, but he, but but he didn't. Um, Shamgar said, "No, it's my responsibility um, to deliver, to defend the people, and I'm going to use whatever it is that I have with me, which was a tool used for farming." Okay, um, it says in Romans 12, "Having then gifts differing according to the grace that is given to us, let us use them. If prophecy, let us prophesy in proportion to our faith." Or ministry, let us use it in our ministry. He who teaches in teaching, he who exhorts in exhortation, he who gives with liberality, he who leads with diligence, he who shows mercy with cheerfulness. Um, meaning, whatever gift that God gave us, he is intending for us to use it. Right? Whatever gift he gave us, he's intending for us to use it. And, and it's not a valid excuse for me to say, well, I have no means, no way in order to use. Right? Um, if God gave me a gift then he wants me to use it, and he wants me to use it for the sake of the church and for the sake of the body, not just to use it for myself. Um, that's why I always tell people, like, if God gives you a gift, then it is required of you to, to, to practice that gift. It's required of you to improve yourself. If you have the ability to, like, if you have a musical talent, then learn music, 
If you have the ability to lead people, then lead. If you have the ability to do administrative work, then do administrative work. If you have the ability to counsel people, then counsel them. Um, don't just have a gift and say, well, I'm only going to keep it to myself. I'm only going to use it for my career to make money for myself. But then when it comes to using it for others, I'm not going to use it. No, actually, that's that's not um, at all how why God even gives us the gift. He doesn't give us the gift just so that we can profit from it. He gives us the gift so that we can share it with other people. And, and sometimes maybe we have to be creative on what type of way uh, we can use the gifts that God gave us. As here, Shamgar, again, he's a... He's a farmer, and he ended up using his, his tool, his farming tool, to lead oxen. He used it as a weapon in order to fight against the Philistines. So we can ask ourselves, like, what is our ox goad? You know, what is, what is the ox goad that God has given me, and how is it that he wants me to use? Um, meaning, I could teach, I could minister, just everything that was in the verse in Romans 12. Exhortation, giving, leading, mercy, all of these things are things that we are all called for, and each one according to the gifts that God has given to us. Um, and sometimes when we think of gifts, we think of things that are um, maybe very uh, visible, right? But there are a lot of things that are invisible, that are very necessary and very important. Not everything is going to be me standing in front of a group of people teaching them, or having a prominent role, or having a role that has a, a, a title even. A lot of the things and the ways that God gives us gifts is to serve one another in very natural and hidden ways. Um, parenting is a gift. God gives us the gift to parent, right? This is something we do in our homes. Maybe, maybe it goes unappreciated, certainly by our kids who don't appreciate it. Um, but maybe as a whole, a lot of people don't appreciate how much sacrifice that parents have to make. But they're the ones who are preparing the next generation of people who are going to lead everyone. Right, it's extremely, extremely important, um, you know. But apart from parenting, so many other things that we do um, that we are called to do um, in order to um, advance the kingdom of God and the world. We use the example of the organs in the body, as Saint Paul does, and each organ has a unique function, and each one is essential for the proper function of the body. Right? You can't have one organ like you can't have the liver pumping the blood. Right? So a big part of this is spending the time to figure out what is my gifts? What, what, are, what are they? What is it that God has given me that um, is unique and different? Um, what is it that God has allowed me to do or to enjoy maybe better or more than other people that maybe is an indicator of, of what he wants me to do, not only just in my career, but also how is it that I can serve um, the church? And we should always be studying and working to sharpen our skills um, so that we can become better and better. So that's the first uh, lesson we learned from Shamgar is use the gifts that we have received for service. The second is you don't have to be an expert to serve. You know, many people's um, uh, fear or response to when they're called to do some kind of service is like they don't know what to do and they've never done it before and they're afraid to do it and they have no experience doing it. Well, of course, I mean, that's actually the case for everyone who starts anything. You, you, you've never, th there's a first time that you do everything, right? But that, that's not the reason not to do it. It just means that you have to grow in it. You have to learn in it. Um, again, Shamgar here, he was not an expert warrior, right? He was not a warrior. He was a farmer, something completely opposite of being a warrior. But he found a way to do it because he trusted in God. The success that he received was from God, just as we see how God used many people in the Scripture who did not seem to us to have been the best choices, you know? They didn't seem like from, from man's perspective there wouldn't have been the best choice. You know, when you think about King David, for instance, 
you know, when Samuel the prophet came and visited Jesse, who was the father of King David, when David was still a child. And David had other brothers who were older than him. Okay? Um, when, because God told Samuel that he was going to go to visit Jesse and that one of his sons was going to be anointed the next king and that he was going to anoint him the king. So Jesse, not or, uh, Samuel and Jesse both, they're not sure yet which of the sons is going to be the king. And so when Samuel comes and the father presents his eldest son, Eliab, to Samuel, and Samuel's impressed. This is a big, strong man. He could be a good king. And God said, no, that's not him. And he went through every son, right, that he had. David was so puny and the youngest to where they didn't even consider him to be one of the options. They didn't even bring him. After he exhausted all of the other sons, he's like, well, who's left? He didn't even consider him like one of like in the running at all. And 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 then he Samuel told um, Jesse, he's like, do you have any other sons? He's like, well, I have one other son, but he's like, you know, he's a shepherd boy. He's not he's not going to be a warrior. He's not going to be you know at all. And so he told him, bring the son, right? And he is the one who ended up being anointed the king, right? Because the thing that made David so special is because he was not a king because he was so great. He was, he, was, he was great because he trusted in God. He was great because his reliance on God. And part of him relying on God is because he looked at himself as being unworthy. He looked at himself as not being capable. The people who are the greatest servants of God are those people who do not think they're able to serve, right? Because they, they don't have what it takes. We see David with the example with Goliath. Um, how did he defeat Goliath? He was not taller than Goliath. He was not stronger than Goliath. He didn't have more uh, training than Goliath, right? But it was through his courage, his faith, that God allowed him to defeat him. If you look at Moses, for instance, Moses was not an eloquent man by his own admission, um, and yet God chose him to be the one to be uh, the leader of a million people. Um, Samuel the prophet started his ministry as a child. Uh, the disciples were uneducated fishermen. Um, so here, and in the case we're talking about Shamgar, he didn't even have the conventional tools necessary to, f to fight. And yet it was through God's will and through God's grace that he was able to defeat. So the second lesson that we learn here is that we don't have to be experts. And actually sometimes the experts are actually worse than the, than the amateurs because the experts trust in themselves, whereas the amateurs trust in God. And maybe we see this even in our own life, that we start something new and at the beginning of it, because we feel so ill-equipped, we're putting all of our trust in God for it. But then after some time, we gain experience and we gain knowledge and we feel like we're experts and we find that we actually are not really trusting in God as much as we used to because we have become too accustomed to what we are doing. And this is true for everything, whether at work or in parenting or in the church or any kind of service. Um, that initial period uh, of, of just like you feel like the world is bigger than you Right, that that feeling of the world is bigger than you, and you you need God in order to survive in it. You need God in order to be successful in it. As much as it might be a scary feeling, but it is also a time where you really feel the grace of God working in your life because you know that you can't, right? And only God can. But when you graduate from that, and now we see ourselves as experts, we know exactly what to be done, we know exactly what to say, we know exactly everything. Uh, life becomes yes, maybe there's less anxiety because um, we know everything. But there's also less grace, and there's less faith, and there's less reliance on God, and there's less miracles because we don't see them, because we don't feel them, because I don't need miracles now. I mean, when I was 
young and I didn't know anything, maybe every success to me was like a miracle. Like, wow, how did God help me to be able to speak in front of a group of people? How did God help me to pass a test? How did God help me to do this and that? And we attributed all these good things to God. Whereas now, maybe we just attribute it to ourselves. It's like, yeah, I, I studied well and I worked hard. And, um, you know, I've done this so many times. It's easy for me, right? And, and maybe that's true. But, but instead of seeing that as being also from God's grace and God who is equipping us and training us, maybe we attribute it to ourselves and we begin to lose the, the, the excitement, the, 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 the view that God is always with us, that he is always working, and that we are able to do anything because he is with us. So this is true in service. We don't have to be experts to serve. And actually, those people who are not experts, maybe oftentimes their service is even more accepted by God because they trust in him completely. Also, the third lesson we learn from Shamgar is not to make excuses to avoid service, right? He could have very easily, as I said before, made any excuses. He says, you know, this is not my job. Um, how can I do this? I'm a farmer. Um, I don't know how to fight. Uh, I'm sure there's other people more equipped. Um, whatever it is the case might be and you see this actually in every single person who is called to serve God in some capacity um, there always could have been someone else and they could have always said let's send someone else and in some cases they did like Moses for instance when he said I am you know slow of speech I'm not an eloquent person send someone else um, you know there, there has to be somebody else who can do it but me and so we can you know fill in the blank uh, whatever it is I am too blank in order to serve. I am too young, I'm too old, I'm too tired, I'm too busy, I'm too sinful, I'm too ignorant, I'm too whatever it might be, whatever excuse that we use um, in order to avoid the service, right? Um, he could have said, I'm just a farmer. Like, what is it that I can do? He could have said, what will happen to my farm when I am at war? Um, there's going to be, there's, 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 I have responsibilities. I have things that I have to be doing. Um, how am I going to give this up in order to go to war? But he, he heard the calling of God. He heard that this is what something God called him for and that he was to be called to be the judge. Um, and and, and he, didn't, he didn't make any excuses, whether excuses because he was afraid, whether excuses because he didn't feel equipped, or whether excuses based on the fact that he would have to make personal sacrifices in his own life in order to fulfill the calling. And so this is another thing that comes with the gifts is the gifts are not free. You know, he says, I give you the gifts, but now you have to use them. And you have to use them on my terms and not on your terms. And that's hard because we would much rather just use them on our own terms. I have, I have my power. I have my gift. I can use it when I want. I can not use it when I want. It's on my time. It's on my terms. I can, I can choose to use it. I can choose not to use it. And I'm in control of it, right? Kind of like in the gospel today when we were talking about stewardship, um, those vine dressers in the parable of the wicked vine dressers, they could decide, or they thought that they could decide for themselves when they wanted to work, when they didn't want to work, when they wanted to give of the harvest, when they didn't want to give of the harvest because they were the owners, right? But when we're speaking about the gifts of God, we are not the owners of the gifts. Like God has given it to us and he said, be good stewards of this and I, I call you to use it. Kind of like when you have like people in the military that are on reserve, they're waiting, like they're, they're waiting for when they were to be called. And when it's time for the call, they've already been trained. They already have what it takes to fight. They already know. And the moment that they are called, they go. 
because that's their whole job is to go. Their whole job is to wait and then go. But what happens if they wait and then when it's time to go, they say, no, we don't want to go. Well, what was the purpose of all of your training? What was the purpose of everything that you've done? Why are you training at all if you're not going to go when you're called? So we have to also see ourselves this way. Like God is training us. God is preparing us in whatever way, in whatever way that our life experiences um, are training us in whatever gifts that we have that we are honing and enhancing and sharpening and using so that when the time comes and there is this quote-unquote war and we are called to go to this war, we are called to use the gift that God has called us to use, um, then it is not up to us to say no because we are in reserve. We have, been re we have been prepared. God is using us for this reason. He calls us. He wants to use our, the gift that he has bestowed to us. So the third lesson is don't make excuses to avoid the service. The fourth lesson that we learn is that you will make a difference. We can ask this question, does our service, does our using of our gifts make a difference in the lives of other people, of those people who are benefiting from our service? Um, again, Shamgar could have very easily said, what am I going to do? How many people am I going to be able to kill with my ox goad um, being untrained, right? But in the end, it says what? That God delivered all of Israel through him. All of Israel was delivered because this farmer man took his ox goad and he went and he fought with it. So again, he was an amateur, but God blessed his work and blessed his effort and made it to prosper. We see again many examples of this, like the blessing of the multitudes when a, a boy offers the five loaves and two fish. Can you imagine the mind of this boy and like how much faith this boy had? Like if you had a sandwich, right? Like you went to Whataburger and you got a sandwich and you just have one sandwich and you bought it for yourself and you were going to eat it, right? But then there's like, and again, 5,000 is just the men. So let's say there's 20,000 people. If 20,000 people and they're like, we're hungry, would you even think to like offer your sandwich? Like just ridiculous. Like you wouldn't. I mean, and, and you would be very justified in not doing it. I mean, like what are we, what is it, what's the point? Like what's the point of trying to offer it? When this boy went and he offered the five loaves and the two fish. He did it without, of course, understanding what is it that the Lord was going to do with it. And in any other day, right, having offered such a thing, anyone would have just said, okay, well, that's good for you that you have that, but that's not enough. You know, like maybe for many of the ladies that like prepare dinner parties or other things and you care so much about how much food that you're going to have to have in order for the guests that are going to come and you stress out because it's like, oh, we don't have enough food for the people right and we have to go buy more food and we have that right but this this boy he like he had no concept of any of this he just said okay the lord is asking for the food i will give what i have and of course this is um this is a great like example because we see how god takes the little but it's the little that is offered in faith right the little that is offered in faith not just the quantity but what is the spirit by which it is offered meaning if i believe that God can take the little that I have and bless the people with it, then I will see the miracles and I will see how God blesses it. When God even called the apostles to go and, and, and evangelize and he sent them out two by two, he told them, take nothing with you. Take very, very little, very little money, very little supplies, very little resources, because he didn't want them to think that the reason that they would be successful in their, in their ministry is because they had a lot of resources. Because in the reality, after he was gone and the apostles would be sent out into all of the world, did they have resources? They didn't have any resources. They were barely like fighting for their lives, 
St. Paul would go from place to place and be stoned. You know, all of the church was established by these men who had nothing, and yet they established the entire church, right, in the world at the time. So the idea of making a difference, making a difference is nothing to do with how talented we are or how special we are or how, um, how influential we are. It has to do only because we fulfill the call. Like God calls because he wants success. God doesn't call failures. Well, he doesn't call failures. He wouldn't call us if we are destined to fail. Why would he do so? He calls us to succeed. And he said, if you do what I ask you to do, then you will succeed. Now, sometimes our definition of success is different than God's definition of success. Sometimes um, our timing of when we want success is also different than God's timing of success. Again, if you were to look in during the lives of uh, some of the apostles early on, maybe you would see, well, what fruit was there? You know, like, like St. Mark, for instance, when he came to Egypt and he preached, they killed him. Like, they killed him. They dragged him in the street, and they killed him. But he planted enough of a seed that eventually the whole country became Christian, right? So if you were to ask him in his day, like, okay, St. Mark, like, how successful is your ministry? It's like, well, if you were to look at the result of the ministry, it's like, yeah, some people believed, but um, the majority hate me, you know? The, the, uh, but, of course, we see generations later the fruit of all that he did, so when I say that we make a difference, we, we, we definitely make a difference. But we don't necessarily see the difference. We don't know what the difference is. When God made the covenant with Abraham and he told him that I will make you the father of many nations and that your, your, your descendants will be like the stars in the sky and the sand on the seashore. By the time Abraham died, his whole family was very small. Like he never saw the stars and the sand and any of that. He didn't see that. He, 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 he accepted it in faith. He believed it in faith, that if he is faithful to God, then God will grant this, even though in his own life he didn't see. And, and this, uh, as far as service goes, serving God, the servant of God, has to understand his role. Our role is part of a bigger, of a bigger thing, right? It's, it's not just about me. It's not just about what I have accomplished. Because if I think in terms of what I have accomplished, then maybe I will be disappointed. But if I think of what have I accomplished in the grand plan of God that he creates, in Ecclesiastes chapter 3, it says, no one can know the, the plan of God from beginning to end. No one can know. But he says what he has created, everything beautiful in its time. Meaning every work that contributes to the plan of God is beautiful. Every, everything that is done to build the kingdom of God is beautiful. Even if when you look at it, it looks like nothing. It looks like, what have I added? Like, what have I added to it? I've added nothing. But everything is beautiful in its time, and no one can know the plan of God from beginning to end, right? Because only God sees the plan. Only he knows what part I will play in this plan. And the greatest servants of God in the Bible, they had no idea what was going to become of, of them, what their legacy was going to be, what would be written about them that thousands of years later would still be reading their stories. All they thought of is I have to be faithful in my day, in my time, doing the thing God called me to do, and I don't care about my legacy. I don't care about whatever people are going to say, but they still made a difference because they followed and, and, and responded to the calling of God. The fifth lesson that we learn is that we have to realize that we are in a war. Shamgar, obviously, there was a clear war, right? There was a clear war that he was fighting. 
um, he saw the enemy, the Philistines, and he said, I have to take up my weapons, right, in order to fight them, and this is my calling. Um, but in the New Testament, we read about how the war that we're fighting is a spiritual war, and our enemies are invisible. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. So while Shamgar was motivated to fight because he saw the enemy clearly, and he saw the enemy was going to destroy his house, destroy his family, destroy his way of life, destroy his nation, and kill him, so he was very motivated. I think any of us who felt that we would have such an enemy, we would be very motivated to fight. Actually, I was thinking um, earlier how, like, after 9-11, George W. Bush was president. Everybody hates George W. Bush now. Everybody makes fun of him. At the time, he, after his response to the 9-11, his, um, his approval rating was over 80%, if you can imagine. It's like the highest that any president has ever had in approval rating at that time. Why? Because everybody felt like there's a common enemy, and we want to do anything in order to respond to that enemy. And so, because we realized that there's an enemy, we were very motivated to fight, and we were very motivated to sacrifice, and we were very motivated to, like, you know, um, all, you know, come together, if we can even imagine that ever happening anymore, um, in order to fight an enemy. So, when there's a physical enemy, maybe it's easier. But when there's a spiritual enemy that is invisible, you know, be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, walks about like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. This spiritual invisible enemy is actually more dangerous than the physical enemy, but also we become very complacent, we become very um, relaxed, we don't fight because we don't see him, we don't, we don't understand it, we don't see the danger, right? What is it that the enemy is doing? Maybe it's hidden from our eyes. Um, and maybe when we talked about the Diabolic Wars, the book from His, His Holiness, Pope Shenouda, we talked about how the devil... Um, wars against us very slowly and very gradually over the course of a lifetime and all he needs is one fall he just needs one one big fall he could tempt us very slowly for, for for 70 years in order to get one fall and all he needs is one so the realizing that we are in a war right makes us to be all the more serious about our training all the more serious about our discipline all the more serious about our spiritual life because we realize that this is not we are not offering god gifts like, you know, we think sometimes, like, when we pray, it's like we're doing God a favor. God, you want me to pray? Okay, I'll pray. You know, give me some points because I prayed. Or sometimes we think, like, God owes me now because I prayed. Like, like, like he, we, we, we deserve good now because we have prayed. No, actually, the, the prayer is for our benefit. The prayer is for God to protect us in this war and to help us to have victory in this war so that we are not destroyed because this is a war. You know, if, if the enemy were surrounding us right now with guns and weapons, our prayer would be a prayer of salvation. And that's what our prayer should be, should be a prayer of salvation. But we don't, sometimes we forget. Am I really praying for salvation? Do I even feel the need of salvation? What does it even mean? No, I'm praying because I want stuff. I want stuff from God. God, give me this, give me that, right? Maybe that's what our prayers end up being a lot of the time because our focus is not, I'm about to die. I, I, I'm drowning. I need the salvation of God. I need God's protection. The, the attacks of the devil against me are too much, and I cannot bear them, right? Uh, no, I want a house. I want a car. I want a husband. I want a wife. I want a whatever it is. Because maybe our focus is more on that, right, than realizing 
Like how 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 close to the edge we are all the time for for this war that is fighting against us. And again, Shamgar saw the war. He took up his weapon. He he fought. He did all that he could do. Um, number six, service requires personal sacrifice. The Lord said when he was speaking about discipleship, he who loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me, and he who loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. He was not saying here that we should uh, reject our family members. He was saying that nothing in this world, even as close as our family members, even as close as our children, which maybe we would say is like the thing we are the most attached to in the world, is the, is the parent to the child, um, even these things should not get in the way or be more important to us than this calling, than using the gifts that God has called me to serve him with. Um, and definitely, when we serve God, there is sacrifice. We sacrifice our time, we sacrifice our rest, our money, our recreation, our friends, our family. We sacrifice our will, we sacrifice many things. But again, um, we do so because we are the stewards, not the owners. Um, I am not the owner of my body. I am not the owner of my life. God gave me my life, and he said, now here's how I want you to use it, right? And there is a reward at the end, right? There is a, a reward. When God says, have you used your life in a holy way? Have you used your life in accordance with how I have called you to use it? Come and enter into the joy of your Lord, and I will give you a reward far greater than anything you can imagine. There is a reward. It is not just that it's a grind, and we are called to, to stay living in this grind for eternity. No, it is a time. There is a season of, of, of struggle. There is a season of toil. There is a season of sacrifice. But that sacrifice does not last forever. right? There is, there is, there is afterward, after the season of sacrifice, there is the eternal reward, which is the last point. The faithful service has a reward. Um, Matthew 25, 23, uh, and this is, uh, I think, the parable of the talents, um, for the for the servant who was uh, faithful, he said, "It says his Lord said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a few things. I will make you ruler over many things. Enter into the joy of your Lord.' Meaning, the joy of the Lord is uh, greater than any other joy. As much as maybe we struggle to imagine that, like maybe each of us has something that we desire so much in our life that we are obsessed with, that we think about." that we desire more than anything, and we think that that thing, if I were to receive it, that actually would be the greatest joy. We can't even comprehend the joy of heaven. We can't even comprehend what it would be, the kind of joy that the Lord is offering us. And we say, I would rather the joys of this life because I can't comprehend. Esau had the inheritance. He had the birthright. He was the eldest son of Jacob, and he despised it. He didn't care about it at all. He came back from, from, from hunting, and Jacob was making stew, and he said, give me the stew, I'll give up anything for the stew. I'm so hungry, I'll give up anything. Will you give up your birthright? I'll give up my birthright. I don't care about my birthright. Just give me the stew. right? And that's what we do. We're like, this stew, this thing in my life in the moment that I'm so passionate about, the thing that I desire so much that I'm willing to give up everything else. I'm willing to give up everything else. I'm willing to give up heaven. I'm willing to give up my entire life in order to obtain for myself this thing this thing that is only going to bring me very, very temporary uh, happiness and fleeting happiness and not even, you know, maybe the student even tastes good. Like in the end, what is it that Esau benefited from the decision that he made that affected his entire, like all his descendants? All his descendants after that were affected by that one decision that he made in, 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 the, in, in like a moment of weakness and passion 
that he's just too hungry. I'm just too hungry. I'm just going to give it all up because I'm too hungry. So faithful service has a reward. In the end, God will reward us for what we sacrifice. So these are the seven points that we mentioned, the things that we can learn from this man, Shamgar. Number one was use your gifts and tools for service. Two, you don't have to be an expert to serve. Three, don't make excuses to avoid service. Four, you will make a difference. Five, realize that you are in a war. Six, service requires personal sacrifice. And then finally, seven, faithful service um, has a reward. And may God allow us to, to see and to know our gifts um, and to use them as he is calling us in the right time. And glory be to God forever. Amen. We can pray. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, one God, amen. We thank you, O Lord, for this day. We ask, O God, that you help us to discover our gifts, and that we, having discovered them, do not use them only for ourselves or for our family, but to come to you, O Lord, and place them at your feet, and ask, how is it that we can use them for your kingdom? Bless us, and guard us, and protect us from all the attacks of the enemy, and help us, O Lord, to remain always close to you. Through the prayers of St. Mary, Archangel Michael, St. Paul, St. Mark, and all your saints, Hear us as we pray thankfully. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not to temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. In Christ Jesus our Lord, for thine is the kingdom, power, and the glory forever and ever. Amen. The love of God the Father, the grace of the only begotten Son, our Lord God and Savior Jesus Christ, the communion of the gift of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Go in peace, the peace of the Lord be with you all. Amen.